Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Hello, welcome to Lickin' on Lending. Today's March the 16th, 2015. This is Andy Shell, also known as the Profit Doctor, filling in for Dave this week. Today we have an exciting rebroadcast of a show on third-party management. The CFPB is focusing on regulatory compliance, including third-party management. So today, enjoy a rebroadcast on this important topic we will all be back next week live for Lickin' on Lending. Good to have you with us, everybody. It's Monday, August 18th, and we're live from Austin, Texas, back home from the cool north country. It was great being with Alice up in uh, Michigan, upper Michigan State at uh, Mackinac Island. What a gorgeous place to broadcast from and to be uh presenting from so we had a great time up there it's good to have you i hope you are enjoying your summer and uh, we've got a sizzling hot topic here this week we've got andy shell and Teresa marie that with mbs that will be on discussing management of third-party services vendor management to be in compliance with cfpb's bulletin 2012-03 folks this is one of those topics where you absolutely need to know say well i'm an lo dave i don't care about that stuff well you'll want to make sure your company knows about it because this can be something that is now could be life-changing for your life ending for your business so we've got to sometimes when you cover on the hot topic segment it's not how to get more and more business it's how to stay in business and this is one of those ones you have to maintain and respect to be in business, and so it's important we all know about it. And also, I recently spoke at the Bank of England's, on Friday, spoke at the Bank of England's uh, branch manager. They brought a bunch of all their people from across the country. It's so good to be there with them. I want to give them a shout-out. We've got a number of them are joining the broadcast today. And so as a result, and some have faithful listeners, but uh, we talked about how it is important to be knowledgeable, uh, even though you're an LO and you may not have anything to do with vendor management, you don't think, well, you know what? If you've got an MLS license right now, you need to know everything that's going on because somehow you'll be could be implicated in anything. So it's really important that we stay tuned and become professionals and know everything that's going on out there. So very excited about today's topic because it is we're really here as a public service to the mortgage industry because we are here as mortgage lenders, been involved in the business for 40 years, and we're really excited to bring you all the information. So welcome to the broadcast, everybody. Really pleased to have you with us. Special thank you goes out to United Guarantee as our one of our sponsors with the new ability to repay ATR and qualified mortgage rules that effect, go into effect January 2014, that went into effect 2000, January 2014. One thing you don't have to worry about is mortgage insurance, as or at least if it's coming from United Guarantee. You see, United Guarantee's qualified mortgage insurance QMI products make calculating points and fees that much easier. 
When you're making sure that total is within the 3% requirement cap and fees that are required under QM regulation, these MI premiums generally won't be a part of that equation. Again, you need to get a hold of one of the UG Corp reps, United Guarantee reps in your area to really get the full impact of what this means to you. But it's important that you understand that, by the way, this one of the things, this is what I'm excited about. It also includes the post, they call it the post-pay monthly premiums option. It is a new refundable single premium option. And the lender paid versions of both the monthly and the single premium option. So there's some new twists to this. They're adding innovative products all the time. I encourage you to check it out to see about these QM-friendly products and uh, the way they're structuring. And check it out at www.ugcorp.com. And a special thank you to United Guarantee, United Guarantee Residential Insurance Company for being a part of our broadcast. Also, a special thank you goes to the group there at Velma.com. I tell you, if you're looking for electronic marketing you know, service, you cannot do better than Velma. There's some other ones out there. But Velma takes a personal interest. I can attest to that. They take a personal interest of really getting the message right. When I'm working with Brent there, um, he is just so conscientious to make sure that my story gets told right. He always runs it by me. We go back and forth as many times as necessary. Uh, they got the patience of Job sometimes. So if you're looking for a good partner, and this is the key word, there's, there's technology tools and there's partners. So I recommend getting a hold of Velma. Check them out at Velma.com. Send in a request. Upcoming conferences. Uh, Alice and I were at the MMLA in Mackinac Island. What a great event. Uh, but we've got coming up September 9th and 10th, we have the MBA's Risk Management and Quality Insurance Forum. It's the one that's going on at the Intercontinental Hotel in Miami. So, again, that's September 7th and 9th. Check it out. I keep talking about the importance to get involved in these conferences. You know, you can read and get it through reading. You, can, you think you can get it from listening and looking and lending. Yes, we do cover a lot of the stuff. But there's nothing like immersing yourself for two days and hearing nothing about the industry professionals talk about all the aspects of everything that's tra- changing as it relates to risk management and quality assurance. And then so valuable to talk to your peers at these lunches, at the in between the breaks or during the breaks and the sessions. You're talking to your peers about how they're handling it. And I think that's probably, for me, some of the benefits that you, that's, just beyond what you can get any other source. So check it out. Be sure to go over to the MBA's website and check out the Risk Management and Quality Assurance Forum coming up in 2014. Joe Farr, good to have you with us as always. Uh, Tell me about uh, what's going on. I mean, last week was one of those really interesting weeks. uh, It really was. uh, It was. But let's start with today. What's happening today? I've got your screen up here. And uh, we've got some more changes moving lower. Lower well, prices, we're down, up rates. We're down eight thirty seconds on the day, and uh, you know the the interesting thing is that we ha- we're just about well we're we're a little lower than where we were when the news about uh, Ukraine strike and a Russian convoy on the on Ukrainian soil that happened about ten fifteen on Friday ten thirty something like that. Uh, on Friday, that that news caused a twenty five basis point rally in MBS prices. Uh, some of that and a and a sharp drop-off in the stock market. So it was a fairly classic flight to safety on headline news. Uh, By late in the day, some of that 25 basis points had been given back. But today we've given all the rest of it back, So uh, and a little bit more. So today is just a reversal from uh, a reversal of what happened on Friday. 
the stock market's doing the same thing. It's up 175. The Dow's up 175 points. The economic data that came out this morning was uh, a little mixed. It had to do with housing and had yeah. very little effect on prices. But the builders, home builders index showed some improvement. Uh, but at the same time, it came out. Fannie Mae put out a prediction that there would be slower growth in housing in the future, and that 2015 wasn't going to be a breakout year. So it's kind of through cold water on the home builders index. Interesting. Well, let's let's take a look at. Uh, I want to come back and talk about that, especially the some of the mixed data. But let's let's cover first of all last week. I think it's important. Okay. Um, I think we'll have some time at the end of the broadcast. We're going to be able to come back and take a look at how this market's moving, seeing as it's moving lower in prices. So we may be have a little time at the end of the broadcast to do that. Uh, let's talk about last week. It was a good week for mortgages overall, and you started it, covering it really some was. of that. But yeah, we gained about a half a point on the week. Uh, and uh, as you mentioned, we we are at about the best prices we've been all year. The only only time prices were better than where they were at the end of the day Friday was uh, late May, and that was just for a few days. So it's uh, been a combination of global concerns and slowing economic growth, and, and that was the driver last week. Uh, both those events, both both the geopolitical concerns and slowing growth. Had the impact on uh, on the market to drive mortgage rates higher and MBS, uh, mortgage rates lower and MBS prices higher. Uh, we talked about the the big event uh, in the Ukraine last Friday, and it was a big driver of price improvement. But prior to that, the uh, economic growth in the U.S. Show, showed uh, retail sales came out on Wednesday, and, and it showed yeah. that there was no improvement from the prior month. So July showed no improvement from June. And if you look at the trend on retail sales, each of the last four months we've seen a a, a slowdown in the rate of growth of economic uh, of retail sales. So uh, that caused a pretty nice rally in in MBS prices at the time it came out. Uh, then Europe contributed to the rally with its uh, second quarter GDP showing uh, basically a, a flat from the first quarter and indicating that Italy's in recession, uh, Germany, which has been the strongest of the economies there, right. is showing some weakness. So the combination of those two, and some of that European activity is before the full effects of the sanctions on Russia are to be felt. So there's a lot. Of, there's a pretty strong headwind there in, in the Eurozone, and um, will that spill over to us? You know, we'll have to wait and see. The data that came out, Last week was uh, was mixed. Uh, Jolt showed the largest number of job openings since uh, uh, since 2001. Uh, but at yes. the same time, jobless claims rose, and and the New York Empire Index fell, but the industrial production improved some. So the uh, the drivers last week were the the you know the slowing economic growth in both the U.S. and Europe. And then the geopolitical concerns. And so this week, uh, there's not as much to look at as far as growth measures go. The the concerns about Ukraine and Russia will continue to be the the driver. Uh, there is the Jackson Hole Summit of World Banking Central mm-hmm. Bank leaders, uh, and we'll likely get some headlines out of that. Some Janet Yellen is going to be making a speech. I think it's on Friday. The summit starts on Thursday. Uh, CPI comes out uh, 
when is that? It comes out tomorrow at 8.30. Wednesday, the minutes from the July 30th Fed meeting comes out. And then on Thursday, existing home sales comes out. So there is some significant economic news coming out. But, again, I believe uh, what goes on overseas is going to continue to be the bigger driver of MBS prices this week. Well, that is going to be we're going to be paying attention to all of that. And when the markets are moving as they can, and especially when it reacts, market reacts to some things happening overseas, it's instant and it's so important to be able to have a service, folks, that you can depend on that gets you the information short, sweet, to the point. And that's what I value most, Joe, about your service. So excellent job. I appreciate the update. And uh, we're going to have some time, so hopefully at the end of the broadcast we'll get a quick update on some of this. So okay. we'll be right back, folks, after this quick break. Economic uncertainty has created a tremendous amount of market volatility for the past few weeks. Intraday price changes seem the rule rather than the exception. Have you been surprised by a midday price change? Have you been frustrated as you locked the loan just ahead of a price movement? Found it difficult to explain to a customer why the rate you quoted is no longer available? MBS Quoline can eliminate these frustrations. MBS Quoline monitors Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Ginny Mae mortgage-backed security prices in real time. It makes the information conveniently available on your desktop, smartphone, or by email or text message. These are the same prices used to set mortgage rates each morning and to issue midday price changes when significant movement occurs. With MBS Quoteline, you'll never be out of touch with the market, whether you're in the office or on the road. See for yourself what MBS Quoteline can do for you. Go to MBSQuoteline.com to start a risk-free two-week trial. MBSQuoteline.com. 646-716-4972. The Lickin on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin. Good to have you with us, everybody. It's exciting. We've got a great broadcast lined up here, a lot of stuff to cover. And uh, Alice is gone, and uh, so we can't leave regulation stuff alone. So we're going to be talking about how to stay compliant with the CFPB, and we're going to do it without Alice. Can you imagine that? And we're going to be talking about later in the broadcast party service providers, the management thereof, uh, vendor management more commonly referred to as. But Alice and I had a great time again in uh, it, it Mackinac Island. Uh, our talk we presented on was new world, new partnerships. So we talked about the need for partnerships between both compliance and production and how those two have been at dysfunctional odds in many, many companies. And it, it just can't exist anymore. We have got to bring these two worlds together. We talked about it. It was well-received. It was so much fun to be there with everybody in uh, on, on the island, and their mortgage lenders, uh, the Michigan mortgage lenders, are just some special group. Really, a great group of companies up there, and they really are conscientious about these things. So, kudos to Joanne Mizoraka and the whole team there at Michigan Mortgage Lenders. A great group of folks. Uh, I, I, we've got also on vacation this week. We have Paul Mala will not be joining us, as well as Tony Garitano. Both of them are out. I've got Paul. Paul Mallow's website up here and taking a look at some of the headlines uh, that I encourage you to head out to. Go to www.imfnews.com. They got the Redwood Trust gets more aggressive on recruiting jumbo sellers. I thought that was an interesting, a real good interesting article by Brandon. Now, Paul's article that he released was Nation Star Mortgage Cuts 160 Servicing Workers in a Performing Unit. 
and that's the word performing is in quotes. So uh, that's an interesting article, some implications there. Uh, Quicken remains number one in FHA as the FHA funder, as others intentionally shrink. Great article that Paul published up there. There's a lot of good stuff on it. If anyone knows Paul Malo, he does have a tendency to get his finger on the information, some of the breaking news. So it's a real great resource. I encourage you to pay attention to it, folks. We have also on the line one of our, my favorite people, Sam Garcia, and uh, we're going to get right into some of the stuff that Sam has, another great resource for so many things, not only the news, and it's a real interesting compliment. I really like, Sam, how your site complements what Paul does over at IMF News. I really rely on both of these, and you've got some pretty interesting headlines up here on the website. So welcome to the broadcast, Sam, and let's get into some of the things that you're tracking on your website. By the way, you should tell all our listeners, go to www.mortgagedaily.com. Sam, good to have you with us. Always a pleasure to be here. Thanks, David. So uh, one of the things that we've covered this last week was a, a bulletin issued by Freddie, and that, that regarded uh, uh, seller servicers uh, who are federally uh, regulated depository institutions. Previously, uh, Freddie had noted that subsidiaries of such entities didn't need to obtain their own uh, seller servicer approval, but that's changing. So it's put out a bulletin uh, that these guys, these subsidiaries of depository institutions that are federally regulated, will need to actually apply to become a seller servicer separate from the parent company. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. So uh, that, another thing we I, oh, go ahead. I'm, we've always I've always got them proved separately anyway. So it's interesting that that headline kind of surprised me a little bit because I didn't know that. They allowed it any other way. So they're at least formalizing that if you have a subsidiary. Now, if it's a department, then different. But if it's a subsidiary, then um, that's that's the key distinction. So I've always recommended for that to happen. So that's interesting. Now, also, the lending activity. You report uh, on August 17th that mortgage lenders are reporting strong activity. Talk about that. Yeah, you know, of course, uh, we're just finalizing our first quarter ranking, or I'm sorry, second quarter ranking, and, and mm -hmm. that involves uh, surveying a number of companies out there for individual performance. And what we found is that uh, from the first quarter to the second quarter, there were a couple of companies, originators, that really uh, saw some acceleration. Among them was BECU. Uh, they were up 102% between the first and second quarters. And then wow. over, over at McLean Mortgage, uh, they were up 74%. Uh, another one, not far from where you just were, Lake Michigan Credit Union, was up two-thirds between the first and second quarter. And not far behind them was Home Street, up 63%. Now, when we look at uh, from a year earlier, the second quarter of 2013 to the second quarter of this year, BECU was up 9%, and New American Funding was up 5%. Pretty much everyone else was down. Um, uh, from the year-over-year -year basis, so you know it was a it was a tough move uh, from one year to the next. But uh, there there were a couple of players there that saw some year-over-year uh, -year improvement, and and then we had That's a couple true. of companies. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I said yeah. Go ahead. You tell me about those other companies. Well, there was a couple others that reported uh, some record activity. Uh, Freedom Mortgage reported that it closed uh, two billion dollars in June, so that was an all-time high for them. And then down in Florida. FBC Mortgage said that it had record-breaking performance and growth during the uh, months leading up to uh, July. So uh, they reported June production coming in at uh, about $0.2 billion. 
Interesting. Well, beyond just some great headlines here, you've got some news reports. You have some great material on your website. And uh, let's talk about some of the studies that you do, the data that's here. Give us a little bit of some feedback on that. Well, you know, what we've got coming up um, is the uh, – and I, I consider it very valuable. It's, it's our mortgage employment index. And what that's going to do is it's going to identify who's been hiring and who's been laying off. We actually go through and, you know, of course, we cover all the layoffs we can find and all the hirings we can find, uh, at least, you know, those that are of significance involving 50 people or more. And then we right. also go state by state. Uh, with their individual employment departments, and then we look at the Warren filings, which is what a company has to file when they're planning on laying off uh, 50 or more people, and we uh, analyze those to come up with somewhat of a total. So, um, you know, you and I have talked about how there's more than you know an estimated 700,000 people in the uh, business. Well, this kind of uh, goes down the next layer down, and you know, kind of see shows you what companies are hiring and which ones are letting them go, uh, where the growth is, and also by state. So, you know, you can see kind of what's happening, who took the most hits in one state versus another. You know, it's, we've seen uh, over the, you know, as the crisis developed, we saw that Texas really uh, saw a lot of growth. People bring in their businesses here where it's kind of an easier yes. state to do business in, and uh, the, the, the cost of the uh, uh, workforce isn't quite so much. And, you know, some of the other states probably took a bigger hit because of those exact same reasons. Amazing amount of information on your website, my friend. Encourage people to check out and then also get a hold of Sam. He's a great resource. And check it out, www.mortgagedaily.com. Get a hold of Sam at samgarcia at daily.com. Or call him at 214-521-1300. Sam, so good to have you be a part of the broadcast. And look forward to having you back next week, my friend. Appreciate you. Appreciate it. Thanks, David. You, you bet. Well, we've got an exciting hot topic segment we're going to get into right after the break. I can't wait for you all to be here. There's so much going on in this industry, and tracking the regulatory side of it is really important, and we've got a great topic. Be right back after this brief break. Mortgage Banking Solutions is the preeminent management consulting firm to the residential mortgage lending industry. No other firm in the U.S. offers the menu of services or the level of expertise to the industry. If you're looking for help converting from best efforts to hedging or need help with bookkeeping to know your profit per loan, if you are interested in making the transition from broker to banker, or if you just need a roadmap for success, Mortgage Banking Solutions' primary focus is to enable executives to take their business to the next level and guide them down a path towards success and profitability. With over 300 Combined years of experience in all facets of mortgage lending, the Mortgage Banking Solutions team of professionals has the expertise and know-how to help you accomplish your goals. New warehouse lines of credit, broker-to-banker transitions, transitioning to hedging, financial and accounting services, or meeting your capitalization needs. If you need help with these or any other aspects of your business, please contact a Mortgage Banking Solutions sales team to see how we can help you at 512-977-9900. It's 512-977-9900. Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Good to be with you, and we appreciate you again. This is August 18th. For those of you who are downloading and listening to this broadcast, let's put that out there. And we today have, as our special hot topic, is management of third-party providers. Now, many of you don't know this, but in 2002, CFPB, I know you all just love tracking CFPB regulations, but in 2012, they issued a bulletin requiring all mortgage banks to monitor their relationships with vendors. Are you aware of that? Well, today on Lickin' on Lenny, we have two experts in vendor management 
to give our listeners a specific information, freemium information, of how to implement a program to comply with the new requirements for management of service providers. Our guests today are Andy Shell and Teresa Marie, both with my firm, MBS, our firm. Andy and I are business partners, so excited to have him on. All of you know Andy as the Profit Doctor, and Andy is a CPA, a CMB, CFF, and a whole lot of other initials, and a VNG, very nice guy. So I add that one on there as well. He's also the president of the of a he he has been the president of a mortgage banking company, the CFO for several commercial banks. He has implemented vendor management himself at these places. Now Teresa Marie is, has been an EVP of operations for a mortgage bank, chief information officer for several companies, and the CIO for a commercial commercial bank where she implemented vendor management. We have both of these experts here, and it's very exciting. Uh, let's start with the first question. Andy, I'm going to go to you with this. You and Teresa both have many years of experience working with commercial banks. And, you know, a lot of our mortgage, a lot of our listeners are mortgage, independent mortgage banking companies. So they go, so why does this, why does that have significance to me? Why is that important, Andy? Thanks, Dave. Hey, it's great to be on the Hot Topics segment. I'm used to being on yeah. Lincoln on Lending as the Profit Doctor, but now I get to be on the Hot Topics segment. So talk about third-party management. Well, and, and as you mentioned, Teresa and I have commercial bank experience in addition to mortgage bank experience. So, so why do we care? Why, why, do I, why do we make that point? Well, the, the reason is that FDIC and OCC banks have been doing this for a long time. It's important because we've done vendor management in a regulated environment before. We know what it's like to have the regulators the CFPB come in and tell us to give them their vendor management program and let us see how you monitor your vendor activity. So the third-party rules for commercial banks have been around for a very long time, and Teresa and I have both implemented programs to manage service providers for commercial banks, and our structures have passed regulatory exams. So the point of that is, the bottom line of it is, we know what good enough is. So since we know what the CFPB expects from commercial banks, we can modify the program to meet the requirements for mortgage banks under the new CFPB rules. So, Teresa, what was the most interesting third-party management, oh, my gosh, whoops, uh-oh, thing that went boom in the night <laughs> that you had to fix while you were at a bank? Thanks, Andy. It is great being on LOL today. I know it sounds a little twisted, but I really enjoy managing vendors. I've been managing <laughs> vendors for over 28 years and know they can be an incredibly valuable resource for a company because they can be an efficient, lower-cost provider that brings specific expertise that would otherwise be difficult or inefficient to hire. Well, <laughs> and the most interesting whoops I've seen is when I was managing 105 vendors for a bank, and one of the vendors loaded the wrong data file and all of the consumer's data was not available or accessible for hours. Yes, Wu is right. We worked all night to get the data restored and tested so that by morning everything was fixed and back to normal. And we all recall the recent Encompass event where the DDoS, which means a distributed denial of service, that impacted companies for hours. This is just a reminder that the fat tails happen, and our job is to be prepared for when they do. 
Yeah, those fat tails, Andy's talked about them on the broadcast, but technology can be your friend, and it can also uh, be really an enemy when things go wrong. And, Teresa, I can't believe you are old enough to have been managing all of this for 28 years. You don't look like it, but uh, let's jump into the details of the CFPB uh, bulletin, the third-party management uh, requirements. And then, Andy, give us an overview of those, if you would. Sure, Dave. Thanks. Well, okay. First, as you stated a minute ago, the CFPB issued Bulletin 2012-03 in March of 2012, so what, over two years ago. And in this bulletin, they outline the requirements they expect mortgage companies to follow when managing vendors. So you've got to think about it like this. It is not if we manage vendors. It is as we manage our vendors, we are expected to comply with several very specific requirements. So as we talk about the CFPB bulletin, we're going to discuss the key terms that are included in the bulletin. We're going to talk a little bit about federal consumer law as we go through our presentation today about vendor management. We're also going to get into who is a CFPB service provider, what are the expectations in due diligence. That's a huge question that people want to know. What are the requirements for the vendor agreement? The CFPB has very specific points you have to have in your vendor agreement. And what are the monitoring requirements for each vendor? So let's get started. Teresa, you mentioned you have experience setting up a third-party management program. What's the first step? Thanks, Andy. And yes, I have set up a third-party management program that in many times in the past. And the first step that I follow when setting up a third-party management system is to get an understanding of the total population of potential vendor relationships. We start by getting a list of all the vendors and then we categorize the vendors into three or four groups based on their risk weighting. But the first step, of course, is to get a comprehensive list of the vendors supporting your business. This can be accomplished by obtaining the list of vendor payees from the accounts payable system. The accounting department pays all the bills, and the accounting department has a record of all the companies that they have paid. Accounting tracks all vendors for IRS reporting, so it is almost certain that we can get a complete list from accounting, even if the vendor was hired by a branch. Also, accounting may have in their vendor files a copy of the vendor service level agreement or vendor agreement. Having a copy of the service level agreement, or SLA, for every vendor is an essential part of a vendor management program. Andy, now that we have a list of all of our vendors that we've got from accounting, what's the next step? Well, we're going to dig deeper, Dave, and we're going to really understand what a service provider means. So remember, we need to identify all vendors based on consumer risk. The CFPB is acutely focused on protecting consumers from financial risk associated with the mortgage lending operation, that it could include identity theft, credit card fraud, anything where a consumer could be harmed because their data was uh, not managed correctly. So it is essential that we understand the first two key terms from the CFPB bulletin when establishing a third-party management program. The first one is called a covered person. Now, a covered person is simple. It's just us, us, we, the lender. The mortgage lender is the covered person to a borrower because we're offering a financial product. 
Now, the next, the next definition of a service provider gets a little bit more detailed. So a service provider is defined in U.S. Code Title 12, Chapter 53, Section 5481.26.A. <laughs> you didn't remember no. that. You have got that written down somewhere. <laughs> and this is known as the Dodd-Frank Act. And the service provider in the Dodd-Frank Act, part of U.S. Code, is defined as any person that provides a material service to a covered hmm. to a covered person in connection with the offering of a consumer financial product. So I'll summarize the definition of a service provider is anyone who provides a material service to a mortgage lender offering a consumer financial product and who would and would include anyone who talks to the borrower, has access to the borrower data, remits and holds borrower data, reviews borrower data, and in any way can capture borrower data on behalf of the mortgage lender. Now, if a vendor can see a social security number and could potentially harm a consumer as a result of their access to this data, then they are a CFPB service provider. So as a, as a mortgage lender, we are responsible to protect our borrowers by complying with all federal laws. So if we hire a service provider, we are responsible to protect our borrower by validating that the service provider complies with all federal consumer protection laws. So think about it this way. Service providers are an extension of us as it relates to compliance with federal consumer laws. Now, we'll get back to Teresa here in just a second, Dave, if you'll indulge me just a minute. I want to talk a little bit more about federal consumer laws. Now, we all know there's a bunch of them, and federal consumer laws um, exist to protect consumers against, oh, fraud, unfair, deceptive business practices. And the thing that's interesting is that federal consumer laws are enforced primarily by the CFPB and the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission. There's actually a memorandum of understanding between the FTC and the CFPB as it relates to them both enforcing federal consumer law. Now, a few of the laws include, we all know RESPA, we all know TILA, there's Mm-hmm. FCRA, FDCPA, TFDAGLM, <laughs> and on and on with the alphabet soup of laws. Exactly, Dave. So it's important to note that there are a number of administrative rules. Now, these administrative rules are in addition to the federal law alphabet soup, and these administrative rules are issued by the FTC. And we, and hiring vendors, have to make certain that the vendors we hire know the FTC rules as well. So I'm going to mention just a couple of them real quick. There, there's information about – there's rules by the FTC about disposing of consumer information. It's very specific guidelines. There's even guidelines about copier data security. So if you have a copier and you want to sell it copier and it was ever used – Copier data security? Copier, copier yeah. Wow. Copier data security. If you have a copier and you want to sell it and that copier was ever used to copy consumer data like a 1003 – you must clear the drum to avoid the consumer data from being obtained by someone else. Wow. There's also identity theft protection, red flag rules, and this one's really interesting. There's called a safeguard rule under the FTC. And your vendors, well, you, us, we lenders, and our vendors must have a written security plan to protect consumer data. And 
we must designate an employee to coordinate the security plan, and we must verify your system information, security's ability to detect. We have to make sure we can detect system failures. So, you know, how many of our listeners have an employee designated to implement your security program based on the rules from the FTC? You know, and if you don't, then you're in violation of a consumer protection rule. And if your vendor doesn't, they're in violation of a consumer protection rule. Uh, but the point is, there's lots of consumer protection laws, and our vendors must understand and comply with these rules. And we, as the lender, we must verify that, that all of our vendors implement procedures to ensure that all of their employees comply with all of the laws and rules. So wow. that's a lot. So, so now that we've got our list of vendors, Teresa, what's next? <laughs> yes, uh, there is a lot. <laughs> There's <And> more? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter who your vendor is. Every vendor, you know, you have to create a risk-weighting matrix. That, from that list, Say that again, a risk-weighting matrix. Weighting matrix. Every vendor, doesn't matter. Every vendor that you've paid and you do business with, you have to create a risk-weighting matrix and, and list those vendors from low risk to high risk. So as you asked, David, you know, what is a risk-weighting structure? You know, what should it include? Well, first of all, you have to get governance and authority of the program and define it. Then the process to implement it, the program, you have to, are all driven from your policy and procedures. Then it's followed by an oversight mechanism to ensure compliance. Of course, the most common six steps in a vendor life cycle, which we say it includes, you've got to identify, identification, planning, due diligence, contracting, monitoring, and then termination. Within each of these six main sections, there are probably 10 to 20 tasks that you have to do. For an example, in a due diligence, we need to assess if our vendors have hired other third parties, and if so, how are they evaluated? So the highest risk weighted vendors include the vendors, of course, identified as the CFPB service providers that Andy mentioned earlier. We are also looking at all vendors to identify the vendors with the high risk to low risk. The basic principle of risk weighting is to identify the probability of an occurrence and then identify the consequence upon that occurrence. Said another way, this is, you know, what is the likelihood of something bad happening? And if that bad thing does happen, what is the operational, financial, your reputation, and regulatory mm. risk? So remember, the CFPB service providers are related to consumer risk. So it is important to identify the events associated with consumer risk and consumer federal law violations. Let me give you an example. What if a subservicer, the employee, sells all the Social Security numbers of thousands of customers. Wow. And this is exactly what happened in 2008 by a former Countrywide employee who was mad about the Bank of America takeover. So they sold thousands of social security oh numbers gosh. and names of borrowers. This employee, of course, you know, went to jail and Bank of America was fined for the breach. Another example could be your LOS system being hacked and all the customer data for the loans in the pipeline, including social security number, driver's license, FICO scores, Credit reports being emailed to everyone on Yahoo. Wow. So really, wow. you know, these are just examples, you know. But in both ca cases, you can imagine the lawsuits, among with multi-million oh. dollar fines from the CPB. 
and being required, guess what, to buy every borrower that you affected LifeLock, credit reports, and fraud detection services for thousands of customers for at least two years. So again, wow. every vendor go back and risk weight, all of them, all the vendors, on the probability of an occurrence and the consequence upon occurrence. Of course, the obvious list of protected consumer data, as Andy mentioned, was defined by CFPB and the FTC, includes Social Security number, name, address, FICO score, and driver's license number. If the vendor has no access to protected consumer data, then there is zero probability of occurrence where consumer data could be released. But we could fill Dave and Andy an entire program just discussing the risk weighting process for vendor managers. But for today, let's move on because, Andy, I know you have a number of thoughts of vendors who are identified as service providers to a covered provider. Which vendors do you include on the CFPB list? Well, thanks, Teresa. Yeah, there, well, there's so much to this. Uh, well, we all have thoughts about who should be on the CFPB service provider list. So I'll, I'll give you my thoughts and then throw this to Dave and Joe to get their thoughts as well. So I, I think the obvious choice is a subservicer goes at the top of the list along with any contract processing or third-party underwriting support because all of these people have access to tons of stuff, followed by any technology provider and a technology provider holding protected data like the LOS or fraud data or even the interface with the credit bureau for that matter. And, and another important one to remember is that an important area of caution is your, your QC service provider because of the potential that one of the QC reviewers could release protected consumer data. So uh, here's an example with low risk. A vendor with low, that has low risk does not have access to consumer data, like, like the janitor. Well, unless they do have access to protected data because loan files are left out and computers are left on and the file cabinet is left unlocked. So if, if the janitor is able to get driver's license and social security numbers from the loan file and then sell it to someone for credit card fraud, you would be liable for the damage and get fined by the CFPB. So, you know, wow. this last example, yeah, this last example is why it's a good idea to have a clean desk policy with consumer data safely locked away. So now, let's get Joe on this as well. Joe, yeah. what about the CPA firm doing a file audit like they do with their audit for the financials? They look at loan files. Ellen, what about your service? What about MBS Quoteline? Are, are, are you or a, CF, or a CPA firm a CFPB service provider? Well, Andy, I'll defer to you on the CPA firm. I would say yes, just based on what you guys have been saying here, um, because they do have access to the data. But uh, fortunately, I don't consider MBS Quoteline as a, a service provider under the definition and, and because we don't get any customer data. In fact, we don't get uh, much information on uh, uh, any individuals in our in our service, we just push information to people. So, um, am I right about the CPA firm? I think I think so. If they can touch a loan file, then they're subject to it. Although there is a provision in the rule under, uh, and I, I happen to have written this down, Section fifty eight fifty four eighty one twenty six bi that addresses exceptions and. It's possible the CPA firm might fall into there, but I think the safest thing to do is get a letter from them. But Dave, what do you think? 
Yeah, you know what? It, it's interesting. The, the key is, is you're not going to do this alone. You need to get someone here looking at it, and that's why we're putting this out there. And I think Andy and Teresa would be great people to contact. These are really some all some really great points, and I think we need to also remember that the investor has access to protected data, and we need to yeah. consider how to manage their responsibility to protect consumer data. So, and Teresa, help me on this. You know, there's a lot to do here. What about due diligence? You are right, Dave. And um, knowing how much due diligence is enough, my favorite saying is like eating chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> how much chocolate is enough? And for me, the answer is more. <laughs> but remember, the, the focus really here is protecting consumers from harm. It is making sure the vendor complies with consumer protection laws. So again, you know, how much due diligence is enough? So let's define what the definition of enough for due diligence is. It is when you are confident, you know the vendor is able to protect consumer data and fully comply with all consumer laws. Of course, the CFPB requires an evaluation of the vendor's policies and procedures relating to consumer protection. It is unlikely a money center bank like Chase or Wells will release all their policies for a due diligence. In most cases, vendors will allow a due diligence team access to review certain policies on site with the ability to copy the policies. In our firm, we evaluate servicers and subservicers on a regular basis. I perform due diligence on site at the offices of servicers many times to evaluate their compliance with service level agreements and compliance with federal law. We perform credit risk assessments for warehouse line lenders. So performing an on site assessment requires a significant degree of structure, process, and the ability to capture, identify, review, and access confidential data. Andy, I know you have ideas on <laughs> how to manage the scope of work in a due diligence. <laughs> He's always got it. Now let's discuss how huh? much do you think is enough. <laughs> <laughs> how much is enough? Well, I, I like your comment about chocolate. I agree. The answer is always more, please. Uh, in defining a due diligence scope of work, it, it's going to be complicated. It, it is important when we define our due diligence scope of work to stay focused on the primary objective, which is protecting consumers from harm and fully complying with the CFPB bulletin. Um, I actually think it's a good idea to get a letter of assurance from the vendor representing that they follow the requirements of the CFPB relating to consumer protection. But even with that letter or with provisions similar to that in our uh, vendor agreement, we still need to test compliance and review procedures because if a vendor employee released consumer data, we as the originator or servicer of the loan are likely liable to the consumer and subject to CFPB fines. Remember, the service providers are an extension of us. So now, a little bit more about due diligence. Teresa, what does the bulletin, what does the CFP bulletin say about due diligence? Well, the CFPB bulletin says that you must conduct due diligence of the vendor's operation to verify if they understand and that they are capable of complying with federal law, and you must review their policies and procedures and their internal controls, their training relating to protecting consumer data. Of course, I think it's obvious this means you, you, know, you must validate that the vendor has the wherewithal to comply with consumer protection laws. So in my opinion, we must obtain reasonable assurance 
that the vendor can afford to have the reasonable controls over their systems to prevent hacking and has training programs to make sure employees understand their obligation to comply with consumer protection laws. Of course, also, you must make certain that the vendor has an employee monitoring system to identify if an employee releases data, and you also must confirm that the vendor has sophisticated activity reporting mechanisms to provide verification, at least quarterly, that their systems are effective in complying with consumer protection laws. So how do you do this? How do you verify this? For again, we'll go back to the highest risk service providers like subservicers, outsourcing, processing, and LOS. I would conduct an on-site assessment of the vendor and request copies of their policies relating to consumer protection for your review. I know that policies are not easily released and are considered proprietary, but I think in the case of the CFPB vendor management, service providers will provide their policy relating to, as we're saying, consumer protection laws because vendors want to make it easy for us to validate that they're in compliance with federal law by providing us with policies and procedures information in advance of an on-site assessment. Nandy, let's just decide if you go on on-site or not. All right. Well, thanks, Teresa. And looking at the clock here, we're gonna we got I think Dave said 10 minutes left. So we're going to cover uh, due diligence. What does it mean to go on-site with due diligence? And then, of course, hit vendor agreements and vendor monitoring. So I'm going to go through this because this is really, really important. The due diligence process is one of the most essential elements in a vendor management program. So at the, at the end of the day is a judgment call to determine if we go on-site or not. In every case of a high-risk vendor, our due diligence assessment must result in obtaining reasonable assurance that the vendor has the wherewithal to comply with consumer protection laws, just like you just said. We have to verify that the vendor has implemented procedures based on best practices in the industry to comply with consumer protection laws and has implemented testing to identify violations of consumer protection laws. So we obtain this assurance by testing their compliance with the laws, reviewing the procedures, and validating are essential areas with sampling tools. So I think due diligence should include reviewing all the vendors' procedures to make certain the employees understand their obligation to comply with consumer protection laws. So let me hit real quickly about the notion of shared due diligence. I know some companies have joined together to hire a CPA firm to evaluate a common vendor. And I understand the economics of cost sharing in the vendor assessment arena because you know, more is less than sharing is better. And I think some of the tests can be shared. However, I know that under the FFIEC guidelines for federal examiners, the TPM review, the third-party management review, must apply compliance testing to the unique functions and protected data between the parties in the SLA. So a generic general representation like a SAS 70 or an SAAE 16 is not sufficient for a third-party hmm. management assessment. So as I wrap up this discussion of due diligence, it's important to remember to stay focused on determining the, bill, the vendor's ability to comply with consumer protection law. So uh, due diligence is complicated. I've done it a long time. We understand this business very well. Due diligence done well is an essential process to both provide reasonable assurance that the vendor has the ability to comply with consumer protection laws and to provide a defense if there is a breach of consumer protection data. Uh, 
Now, due diligence is not a guarantee that there will be no breaches of consumer data, but it is a way of providing reasonable assurance that a consumer breach will be prevented, and if there is a breach, it will be identified. So as I wrap up my portion here and get to the good part with vendor agreements, um, for years I've debated the question about balancing due diligence costs with assurance of risk avoidance. You know, how much do you look, how much do you spend on checking to make certain that nothing bad is going to happen? And it is a balancing act. And I can tell the audience from my personal experience that it is a judgment call. And your judgment decision about the due diligence scope of work is going to be reviewed. It's going to be scrutinized. It's going to be criticized. And your judgment about due diligence is going to be judged by the CFPB when they come look. Your decision about on-site assessment or the scope of work could end with the CFPB taking no action, which that's the best it can get because they're not going to tell you a good job. <laughs> or, yeah. right, they don't say, way to go. So or, true. It could end, yeah. you could, or it could end with you being fined because there was a breach and you did not do enough. So that's why we here at MBS follow the FFIEC guidelines for federal examiners when establishing a third-party management program because – if we do it the way they tell us to do it, then we are in a much greater defense position if they take exception to our structure. So the key is to document your justification and have support for your opinion. I would, I'd get an assessment report from a credible professional. This will help represent your competence in third-party management, and it can be a defense if there's a finding. So now then... Once due diligence is completed, we're on with our vendor agreements. Teresa, I know you managed 105 vendors simultaneously. Wow. That's a lot. Exactly. Wow. So what's the deal with vendor agreements? Yes, thanks, Andy. That was a lot of information about due diligence. And, yes, I know vendor agreements very well. The first rule is to never have a vendor agreement without a well-documented vendor assessment, including due diligence of the vendor. Consistency. So, then once the risk assessment is complete and the vendor is approved, it is time to create a vendor agreement. The CFPB says the vendor contract must include provisions outlining our expectations about compliance and the consequence for noncompliance, including termination. Ah, I just let you know, I think it's a good idea to include indemnification language in the agreement for their breach of, non of consumer protection law. It is also important to have a lawyer, as Andy mentioned, prepare the SLA who understands the CFPB rules and the contract requirements for your state laws. The CFPB has a number of requirements to include in agreement, and of course beginning with performance standards and KPIs, consequence for non-performance, and the termination of the agreement for non-performance, and your right to audit their operations for compliance with federal consumer laws. It may be that some or many of your existing service level agreements with your vendors have to be augmented or completely replaced to comply with provisions of the CPB third-party management bulletin. The last step is, of course, to monitor the agreement. So let's start with what the CFPB says. We'll go back and quote them. The CFPB says you have to create internal controls or vendor monitoring procedures to assess the vendor's ongoing compliance with federal consumer law. And the CFPB inquires that you take prompt action if any vendor fails a compliance test including potentially terminating the relationship. Therefore, vendor monitoring as a part of your internal controls is a very important step because this is how we determine if the vendor 
is complying with KPIs included in the service level agreement. You cannot implement a vendor SLA and just forget about it. You can't. You must monitor the vendor's activity and take prompt action if there is an issue. Anything less will certainly result in a finding by the CFPB. So it's important when launching a vendor management program to track your vendor's activity and provide monitoring reports for management. I've done this for years, and I'm available to discuss how to set up a TPM program and how to monitor for your vendors. No matter where you are in the vendor life cycle, we can help, and you can set up policies and procedures for vendor management and even maybe monitor the activity. Back to you, Dave. Well, monitoring the activity has got to be no small task. I think our listeners would be wise to contact you to review how you can help them set up the vendor management program. I love how you guys use the term all the time, VTP or TPM. So uh, it's really important that you guys have, that our listeners understand this. Teresa, I want to know, to make a commitment about contingency plan, what, what are your thoughts on that? Right, contingency planning. Well, I've always huh. been known as the fat that's, tail That's queen. also the prophet doctor and his fat tail to stuff. So I mean, he's kind of had to <laughs> yes. that in me. Yeah. And I'm always thinking about how to protect our company from things that could go wrong. So it is important to always, as I've always say, have a backup plan for your backup plan with another backup plan or a backout plan. <laughs> so all the listeners. Well, that's not a, a backout plan. That's good. Exactly right. You never know. So um, basically all the listeners out there should have a vendor contingency for every service provider vendor. You know, what if your LOS fails? You know, what are you going to do? How will you get access to all of your data? You know, do you have the source code or access to it? Is all your data backed up to a co-location, and have you tested it recently? Can you access it? And this goes on and on and on. So it's just basically encouraging everyone to consider your contingencies. Think about the things that could go wrong, and it's important to document and list them out and have plans for them. And don't forget about your vendors from the past. You know, just because you're holding your bar, you know, if they're holding your consumer-protected data, just because you change, let's say for an example, a new QC firm, they didn't. It didn't remove your responsibility for the prior QC firm who has your yeah. protected consumer data from five years ago. So if you are changing, you wow. are still responsible for archive of data. There are a lot of things to think about, and just give me a call. We'll talk about it. Thanks, Dave, and I guess thank you, Andy. Appreciate the time. Well, there's. There's there's no question there's just so much about this and you know a lot of people say vendor validation vendors 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 I got to have them they're necessary evil I don't need to do that but you know I think you guys have done a really good job of taking a bite out of this thing I've been uh drinking from this fire hose and now I'm soaking wet without knowledge and I really need to figure out how to digest this so one of the things I'm going to recommend our listeners to do is circle back and download this broadcast there's a lot of content here a lot of thought went into getting this out in a timely manner to you. So I want you to, first of all, the first thing you can do, listeners, download the broadcast and listen to it. The second thing you can do is you're not going to hear all the answers. This is an introduction, barely an introduction into it. It's freemium. It's free information, but not enough for you to really get started. So I think it's really important that you get a hold of Andy, the Profit Doctor, also Teresa Marie, the CIO for MBS. So how to get a hold of these folks? Andy's email is andy at mbs-team.com, and Teresa's email is teresa at mbs-team.com, or you can call 512-501-2804. 
There's also a lot of valuable information on our website at mortgagebankingsolutions.com. It's really good to um, have all of this information, and uh, thank you both for all the work you went to to get this here for our listeners. Thank you very much. I appreciate you course, both Dave. being with us today. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Our pleasure. You bet. Well, listeners, there's. Uh, let's go take a quick look. Let's go to Joe. Take a look at what's going on in the markets. It looks like the screen's telling me it's prices are moving lower, rates are moving higher. Joe, any what's causing yeah. this? Uh, I think it's just a continuation of the move from Friday, reversing Friday's move. Stocks are continue to 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 move a little higher. They're up 170 points now, and um, so it's just uh, reversal from. Friday's flight to safety. Yeah, so seeing that happen, well, folks, it's been good to have you with us. Thank you, Joe, for giving us updates on all of this. Check out the – remember, download this broadcast, a lot of great information. Next week, we've got Bill Cosgrove. I interviewed him while up at uh, the MMLA on Mackinac Island. We'll be playing that interview, some really good inf- information. I just think the world of Bill Cosgrove, for those of you who do not know, he's the incoming chairman of the NBA, a great resource. Also, be sure to check out our Facebook page. Check, get a hold of me, David Licken, at on Facebook or on Twitter. Let me know that you're out there. Again, special thank you to Bank of England for having me come and speak to them this last week. I know a number of them are listening for the first time. Shout out. It's a great company. If you're looking for a good company, consider Bank of England. Appreciate you guys being a part of the broadcast and telling others about it. Have a great week, everybody. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Quoline, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening. 